Today's Bible reading is John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He said to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You called me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The second reading is continuing on from there to the end of the chapter. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to this is to fulfill the script passage of the scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in the spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the bread in the the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, What are you about to do? Do quickly. But no one at the mill understood why Jesus had said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor.
As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and, just as I told the Jews, so now I tell tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Morning. Hello, am I on? Good. I'm Colin, add my welcome to everybody else's. Good to have you here. Thanks, Team Keen, for the good reading. Well done. Okay. Now, have you ever misread a situation? You know, where you've underestimated just how important and how significant a situation is uh, or an event. Um, For example, like you turn up in jeans and everyone else is wearing a suit. You've, like, really misjudged how important it is. Or I remember going to a study conference once and we thought, oh, that first session... Don't sound too important. We'll, we'll just come in about halfway through. No one will notice. But the door was right at the front of the lecture theatre and creaked, <coughs> creaked open. And everybody else noticed exactly how late we were. Um, sometimes you only realise how, how significant something is later on. I can remember like it was yesterday when we emigrated to Australia that the, the enormity of the situation finally caught up with me as I lay awake in a hotel room in, Kong, in Hong Kong on the way, and just remember lying there thinking, what have I done? I'm glad I did, just for the record. I'm glad I did. Here we are. You've probably got your own story to tell. Well, this morning, if we're going to join Jesus and the disciples for, for dinner in this room with Jesus and the disciples, where Jesus performs what on the surface is a very simple act of ser- service. Because Jesus, in the middle of dinner, gets up and washes his disciples' feet. And it's a simple act, but one which captures what Jesus' death means for us. It's a really simple act, but one which tells us how we are to live for Jesus in the here and now. So keep your Bibles open. We'll keep referring to this passage. And there's an outline in your leaflet if you find that kind of thing helpful. Um, just to set some context first, so John is writing his gospel that we might believe. He's telling us things about Jesus to help us to believe in him. And at this point in John, Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem, and he's been talking about how his hour has come, his time's up. He's talking about his death bringing life. Um, He's been talking about light and darkness, about driving Satan out, uh, about drawing many to himself. 
And now in chapter 13, we come to a, like a key turning point as we transition into Jesus' final hours. Uh, you see there in verse 30, and it was night. It's like, dun dun. It's, it's marking a turning point. Judas leaving to betray Jesus signals the end of the, the darkest, but as we'll see, most glorious hours that must come. Uh, the disciples are there, they're there together celebrating this meal that they traditionally held before Passover. Uh, and it's a real intimate sort of scene that they're gathered around, reclining around this table, um, eating a meal of remembrance, much like we'll share a meal of remembrance of bread and juice in communion together later. But, you know, they're there, gathered together, intimate setting. So, so intimate in verse 25, the disciple Jesus loved, probably John, the author of the gospel, can lean back against Jesus, shoulder to shoulder. So let's join them at the table. So the first point there, first of all, we are served to love. We are served love, sorry, served love. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, John gives us quite a, a lot of scene-setting introduction here, doesn't he? It gives us sort of three verses which, which set the scene and give us gives a synopsis of Jesus' mission, really. It, it feels to me, you know, like in soaps or dramas, where one of the protagonists is made to be probably too obviously very happy, and it's all smiles, and you just know that some big dramatic event is coming. Um, these, these first three verses let us know uh, what Jesus is about to do at this meal. It's to be understood in terms of what is about to happen about Jesus going to his death on the cross uh, and explaining its significance. So have a look at verse 1. Uh, what Jesus is about to do is in response to him knowing that his time is up. He's approaching his return to the Father. Uh, he's going to complete his mission to the world and to his disciples. But verse 2, there seems to be a spanner in the works. It says Satan is at work to help one of Jesus' inner circle betray him. But then verse 3 makes it really clear that none of this is random. None of it is a surprise to Jesus. This was all part of the plan of why he came from God and is returning to God. So with all that sort of insider, heaven's point of view knowledge um, of what is going on, all that going through Jesus' head, what does Jesus do? When you're the son of God, thinking about how your darkest hour is upon you while at dinner, what do you do? Verse 4. Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Uh, Jesus takes on the role of a servant, uh, putting himself into menial dress, uh, undertaking a menial task of servitude. Uh, Jesus has put himself as low down the pecking order as he possibly could at that meal and performed an act of service. Uh, so Simon Peter, his great Simon Peter, he's a heart on his sleeve, patron saint of uh, putting your foot in it. He speaks first, think later. He objects. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, 
Lord, are you going to wash my feet? No, said Peter in verse 8. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. See, Simon Peter, he wants to treat Jesus as his Lord and King in the way that Simon Peter feels fit. He doesn't want his master to serve him. But Jesus insists that's exactly what Simon Peter needs. Verse 8 again. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So we know from John's introduction to this scene and from Jesus pointing out in verse 7 that they go and understand the disciples will understand this later. It makes it clear that Jesus is not just talking about a pedicure here. Jesus is talking about his suffering and death on the cross. So two things I want to say about what Jesus says here. First, we need washing and we can't serve unless we have first been served. So firstly, let's not miss the very fact that we need washing. Every one of us has rebelled against God. Every one of us has failed to love God as we should. Every one of us can think of ways that we've wronged God, we've wronged the world, we've wronged each other. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we need washing. And Jesus is clear, only he can wash us. See, Jesus' death on the cross, it's, it's central to our belonging to God. If we take that away, we can't belong to God. He's the only way through which we can be put into right relationship with God. Romans 3.24, slightly less well known. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. If you're someone who's still investigating God and Jesus, the chances are that you know something is up. Uh, you know there's a barrier between you and God. You need to know that you need your sins washing away. And you need to know that Jesus has washed them away by his death on a cross. So second thing to say about Jesus saying uh, you must be washed. We cannot serve unless we have first been served by Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't start with you doing something for him. It starts with you accepting what he has done for you. I'll say that again. Following Jesus doesn't start with you doing something for him. It starts with you accepting what he has done for you. Of course, it's right and it's good and it's proper to want to respond to Jesus, to worship him and to serve him. But we must never jump the gun. Our works of service must flow from first accepting the undeserved grace that Jesus has shown us in willingly going to the cross to take our punishment for sin, to take our punishment. Uh, in verse 10, look there, 
uh, Jesus tells us his sacrifice will be effective. It'll do the job. We don't need a bath. We've been made clean. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross was a once-for-all thing, completely effective in washing away our sin and securing our salvation. But what we must do is keep trusting in him. Keep trusting in him and his work on that cross. Uh, humbly accepting his loving service to us. We have to let Jesus wash us. We have to take it on the chin that we are utterly helpless to save ourselves and trust ourselves completely to Jesus and what he has done. Jesus talks about washing us and then about how to serve and follow him, not the other way around. It's only by allowing Jesus to wash us that we can be saved. We never graduate from the cross. It's not not just our entry ticket to Christianity, and then we sort of take care of the rest ourselves. Our regeneration, our growing in faith to maturity, uh, becoming more like Jesus, they're all fruits of what Jesus has done for us. We're going to share communion, share bread and juice together later on. Use it as an opportunity to remember. It's an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done. Use it as an opportunity to remember that we can't bring anything to the table. Use it as an opportunity to examine yourself and work out where you've put the cart before the horse or or even uncoupled your cart completely from the horse, separating your Christian living from trusting in Jesus' complete work for you. Use the opportunity of communion to come humbly before God and be washed by Jesus. We have been served love by Jesus. And as we accept his washing of us, we're to respond with loving service. Our second section, loving service. So we've established that an essential part of being a disciple is, in many respects, to sit there like a lemon, to, to just trust Jesus to do what only he can do. And now Jesus tells us how to live in response to that. We're to follow his example. Follow his example. If we come to verse 13 onwards from me, with me. Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So here's Jesus' logic. I've come from God and I'm returning to God and I really am your teacher I really am your Lord. And even I, Jesus, with the highest status in creation, I've served you in humility. Therefore, you should serve each other with humility too. 
Jesus tells us to follow his example. We're not to go about following him with a different agenda. Um, We're told to do what he did. Um, Those of you children will know what it's like to find out what you really say and what you really sound like from when you hear your own phrases repeated back to you through your own children. They'll say a phrase and you think, where did that come from? And it slowly dawns on you. Yep. They're mimicking me. They're following my example. Uh, I've got a slide from Awkward Family Photos here. This is a family that are clearly following one another's example in the mullet and double denim department. Looking good. Thanks, Alex. They can go. See, the trouble is with children, they start getting ideas of, um, of their own above their station and, and going rogue. Um, Miv, our six-year-old, um, went into the school office one morning I said, morning ladies, how are we all doing today? <laughs> no, that's not from me. I don't know where she got that from. <laughs> she wasn't following my example. Uh, Jesus says we're not greater than him. We're to follow his example. Uh, he gets us into, Jesus, into God's family and he wants us to take on the family likeness. Uh, Later on in the passage, in the context of him talking about he and God the Father being glorified on the cross, he puts it like this, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So how is that? How did Jesus love us? Humbly. Self-sacrificially. Other person-centered. For God's glory. At Jesus willingly going to his death to save us. It should affect every part of our lives. As, as we lay them down in his service. For God's glory. We should serve one another. We should treat one another as more important than ourselves. Putting each other's needs above our own. I think we easily intellectually sense that. I think, yeah, that's. That sounds right. But I think we get very good at building paradigms, like structures of thinking for ourselves, which, which generate excuses more than they generate acts of service. Um, it's, it's very easy to build up entitlements in our minds without even realizing they're there. So thinking, that, well, I'm, in, I'm entitled to a certain amount of leisure time. So, I've run out of time to go and visit that person in need. Or, I I can't be expected to do church stuff when I've got so much on my plate and I feel like I'm run ragged. So, I'll skip growth group tonight. Or, I'm happy to come to church as long as I get to hang out with my friends and sit in my favorite spot. And somebody else can take care of welcoming new people. Or, I'm a very private person. I don't want to share what's really going in my life with people at church. And I think it's the same with sins that we keep returning to. It can be because deep down we feel like we're entitled to them. You know, I, I've got so much stress in me out. It's no wonder I speak and act in anger. It's got to come out somehow, hasn't it? Or she offended me so badly. I can't handle being around her. She, she doesn't deserve my time and attention. 
Or those images that are so tempting. How can I be expected to resist? I need them, really. No. Give up your entitlements, what you feel entitled to. Let go of your rights. Because Jesus, he, he deserved all praise and glory. And instead he got crucified. He deserved loyalty. And he allowed himself to be betrayed. So even if you feel like you've got 20 good reasons not to, serve one another in humility anyway. And have enough humility to let your brothers and sisters in Christ, to let them in. Ask for help. Let them love you. Tell them how you're really going. And let the example of Jesus inform every decision. Where to live? Well, where is going to glorify God and allow me to serve my brothers and sisters in Christ the best? What job should I do? Well, which is going to allow me to serve and grow in, at church? Uh, what should I watch? Well, is this going to help or is it going to hinder me in encouraging one another in godly living? Let's have a close look now at Jesus' ultimate act of service. This is our third point now. Jesus' ultimate act of service. Jesus' hour has come, and it begins with betrayal. See, Jesus always knew Judas was going to betray him. Uh, we see that in verse 11. Uh, he knows it must happen to fulfill scripture, verse 18. But verse 21, it still hurts. Jesus was troubled in spirit. And yet, and yet, he washes Judas's feet, knowing that it would betray him. And even in, in verse 26, that dipping the bread and offering it, it's a gesture of honor, like a, almost like he's offering a final out to his betrayer. There's no cold shoulder from Jesus, no begrudging tolerance. Jesus serves Judas. He lets Judas get one over on him, lets him go through with his betrayal because he knows that it will bring glory to God. Verses 31 to 32. Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify himself at once. Five times we've got the word glory or glorified. Jesus refers to his suffering and death on a Roman cross as him being glorified. God's moment of supreme triumph is achieved through the betrayal, the humiliation and the weakness of his son nailed up to a tree by those he had created. Jesus, the most honourable man in history, utterly humiliated. See, Jesus gave up his rights so that we might have the right to be called children of God. And this, from God's point of view, this is glorious. It's a completely different, upside-down way of looking at what, what triumphing looks like. 
So when we seek glory, when we seek to serve Jesus as Jesus served, to love as Jesus loved, this is the kind of glory we're aiming for. God-centered. Other person first, at any cost to yourself. Self-sacrificial love. Go in the way of the cross. Christian love is not about, it's not about emotion or romance or likes or dislikes. It's about the challenge of self-sacrifice, service, and obedience to Jesus' commands. Jesus' simple act of washing his disciples' feet has said so much. He's shown us that we need to be washed by him. He's shown us that he alone can wash us. Shown us that his cross is effective to wash us once for all. And it gives us a pattern for self-sacrificial living as his disciples now. So let's tie these threads together now as how we apply this to the here and now. So first of all, you need to know you need to be washed of your sin. Admit your sin to God. Turn away from it. Repent of it. And ask for him for his forgiveness. And then trust in Jesus and his glorious death on the cross to wash away your sin. If you do, you have a part with Jesus. You're assured of eternal life with him. If you don't, hear Jesus say, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Secondly, love one another as Jesus has loved you. Forget your rights, your entitlements, your expectations, and love one another in costly, self-sacrificial ways. Refuse to be offended. Being offended isn't for Christians. We're sinners saved by grace alone. Being offended is for pagans. Refuse to be offended. Talk to someone new and sit somewhere else. Talk to people at work and school about Jesus, even if it makes you unpopular. Give up that sin that you feel is only reasonable to expect from you. And do all of this. Do all these things because you're loving others more than you're loving yourself. Accepting Jesus' loving service for you. So each time you wash your feet, all right, teenage boys, each time you look at your feet, use it as a reminder or each time you leave the dinner table, use it as a reminder that Jesus, through whom and for whom everything, all creation was made, he got up from the table, did his best to look like a slave, stooped down and washed the stinky feet of his disciples, even the one he knew was going to break his heart. So let's give Jesus the last word. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Amen. We've got a chance now to um, share communion together, which Tim's going to lead us through. Thanks, Tim.